getting ready to pack up our family. We're in the process of selling or giving away everything that we own. And we're getting ready to pack a few bags and get on a plane and move to Madrid, Spain with one simple goal. And that goal is to accelerate the gospel through the power of media. Now, I want you to think about maybe the last commercial that you saw. Uh, maybe it was a commercial for somewhere to go to eat, or uh, the one thing that Alicia always sees is uh, she can spot a pair of shoes. You know, I'm going to go to handheld, if that's all right. There we go. Uh, Alicia can pop, spot a pair of shoes on television in like a, a frame, in an instant. She, did you see those shoes? No. I didn't, actually. Funny you should ask. Uh, the, the one that always gets me, though, is when I see that contour glass bottle. And it's got the dew on the outside of the bottle. It's just, they, get, they get that one drip coming down over the red logo. And then they, they, they pop the, the top, you know, and they take, they take that, that brown, fizzy goodness and they pour it over the most perfectly shaped ice cubes. Comes up, you know, you see that. Anybody want an ice cold Coca-Cola glass? <laughs> and every time, I, and now, right now we're getting into the part where they're going to show the ones with Santa with the polar bears. And, oh, yeah. and every single time, it just, my mouth is dry, right? In fact, you know, I, I, this is not it. But. <laughs> Every time, it makes me want an ice-cold Coca-Cola Classic. Now, what if? What if we could use those same techniques that make you want to go out to eat, or make you want that pair of shoes, or make you want an ice-cold Coca-Cola Classic, and we make people want the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, more than a third of what Jesus did when he was on this earth was tell stories. And... Uh, you think about Jesus telling stories. In fact, in the book of Matthew, it says there wasn't a place that Jesus went that he didn't tell stories. And that's what we do. We use the power of media to tell stories that bring people closer to him. I want to tell you about a little boy. A little boy by the name of Shabundu. And this little boy was born in a small village in India. And he was born blind. And one year, a group of missionaries came to his town and they set up a screen and a projector, kind of like this one here, and they showed a film about Jesus. And Shabandu, he, he couldn't watch the film, but he could listen to it. And as he listened to it, he believed that God could heal him, kind of like what we prayed for this morning in the lives of several people who attend here. And at the end of that film, he prayed that God would heal him. And I want to tell you today... That Jesus touched this boy in restored sight. We can see his one eye. Both of his eyes had been turned up in his head and he hadn't seen a day in his life. And Jesus touched him and restored sight to his left eye. Amen. Amen. And so a year later, when that group of missionaries went back to his town, and they set up that screen and they set up that projector in a room full of rambunctious little Indian children, Shabundu sat still. In the middle of that crowd, with his eye fixed on the screen, watching for the very first time the film that had changed his life forever. Media is powerful. And now, i, I got to tell you, Pastor Zach was absolutely accurate in his, uh, in his description that we have just decided to go into missions. I never thought that I would be a missionary. I, I would consider myself one of the least likely 
missionaries, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe not ever, I'm not hyperbolic in that sense, but I, I don't feel like I, I belong in, in the, the, the crowd of witnesses that have gone before us. I was minding my own business, working at University of Valley Forge. I was a professor of digital media. Uh, Alicia worked there, she was the director of alumni. We loved our jobs, we loved our home, we loved our friends and our church, and in a lot of ways it felt like we were living a, a we had our little slice of the American dream. But I think sometimes the American dream is not accurate in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not comparable. And there, there was a moment where God started to give us a little nudge. Have any of you ever had like a nudge? Like, like just something, and maybe it's just a, a thought in your head, maybe it's a dream you've had for your whole life, something you'd like to do or something you'd like to see God do in your life. Um, for us, it ended at, what if someday? <laughs> that was it. It was, what if someday? We knew it was something else. And we knew it was something that God wanted us to be able to live missionally in our lives, but we didn't know if it was maybe one day we were going to go work for a multinational corporation or even just go somewhere where we had never lived before and start fresh. Have you ever just wanted to start fresh? We thought maybe, maybe that's what God's going to do with us. But I had the opportunity to go to the Middle East a couple of years ago. And I went there really to, to put my head down and do my work. I went there to make a documentary film. And what I saw when I got there was a group of people, and not like people that couldn't hack it in the States or, or people that, that were even former pastors or anything like that. I saw doctors and lawyers and civil engineers and business people, the best and the brightest, that were giving up everything, their careers, their families. They were packing their lives in a few plastic bins and moving to the dustiest place on earth to plant the church of Jesus Christ. And it was there that God began to reveal to me what he meant, what Jesus meant in Matthew where he said, whoever wants to be my disciples, deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. Familiar with that? He began to reveal to me what I would have to give up to truly follow him. Life of music. A life obsessed with technology. Maybe my career. I, I started to cry because God was changing my heart. And just a few months later, we were preparing for another trip, this time back into North Africa, but this time starting in Madrid, Spain, at the headquarters of International Media Ministries. You can see where this is going. And right before we left to go on this trip, the director of IMM resigned from his job. And I got there and I sat on the couch across from him and, and he looked at me and he said, Dan, you know I've resigned. And I just want you to know that they've asked me for a list of people who I think can take this ministry over and I want to let you know that I put you at the top of my list. <laughs> Excuse me? Even though we knew God was, was stirring something, we still were perfectly content with our suburban American lives. And so I, I did the only thing that I knew how to do, and I wasn't even sure if it was okay. Pastor Zach, I got an 81 on my credentialing exam. Therefore, everything I do is 19% heresy. So that night, that, that, that night, I made a deal with God. Have any of you ever made a deal with God? I didn't know 
what else to do? And in fact, I asked Alicia later, she's, she's been licensed uh, as licensed minister for over 10 years, and I said, Alicia, I don't know if I'm going to get struck down here. But I prayed this prayer. I said, God, if you want us to consider coming here to international media ministries, I need someone to call me on the phone. Right? Some people are, are called into the ministry or into a new phase of ministry at a, a convention or a retreat or a camp. I wanted to be called on the phone. That's, that's what I wanted. And we came home and, and we, we, you know, the, the grass was greener and the, the, it was May, but you know, the flowers were brighter and, and we were just waiting to see what God would do because ultimately really just what we wanted was to be used by God in the best possible way. We weren't running from anything. We were content in our lives, and if he was going to call us, he was going to have to call us. <laughs> and we waited, and we waited. Over a month went by, and just on the day we left to go to Spain, we found out we were pregnant for Paisley, so about a month later, we told our families. One day, about six weeks in, Alicia looked at me and said, Dan, no one's called you yet. How does that make you feel? Great, let's buy a house. Let's, because it really felt like it was this fork in the road. Like either God's going to call us to, to do something crazy for him, or exactly what we are doing is what he has for us. Because he was using us in really incredible ways at the college and in our church and, and in our ministry. And so we prayed another prayer. I'm warning you, do not pray this prayer. Okay? We said, God, we are yours completely. Yeah, you can see where this is going, too. Wherever you say to go, we will go. Why? Whatever you say to do, we will do. And it was probably the most heartfelt prayer we've ever prayed. And the next day, my phone rang. And the conversation went like this. Hi, Dan. My name is Paul. I'm the regional director for Europe for Assemblies of God World Missions. I don't know why I'm calling you today, but I just felt led that I had to reach out to you and tell you about an opportunity we have in Spain. He told me a few weeks ago that that was the only time he's ever done that. The only time he's, he doesn't want to use his position to coerce anyone, but he did it, and God used that. That, my friends, is what we call a burning bush moment, right? right? And, and this is the moment that God shows up and he tells you exactly what he wants you to do. And, you know, we're, we're, supposed, to, we're supposed to understand that this is God and, and go in that direction. But I want to spend a few moments for our meditation this morning talking about the man who had the original burning bush experience. A man by the name of Moses. Now, several of you, when you think of Moses, you probably think of this. We're going to play just a quick video clip here. Right. <laughs> His legs are mine. The lives are mine. All that they hold is mine. I do not know your God, nor will I let Israel go. Who are you to make their lives bitter in hard bondage? Man shall be ruled by law, not by the will of other men. This face, right there. How many of you, when you think of Moses, this is what you think? It's okay. There's no shame in that game. But we don't have, we don't have any uh, you know, Polaroids of Moses from back in the day. So right before this moment, right, we, we see that this powerful man, right, this, this giant of the faith, Moses, Charles Heston, 
This characterization of Moses, we do realize, is a complete Hollywood fabrication, right? This is not how it went down. Not how it went down. Now, I want to take a few moments and read a portion of scripture. Uh, right before this moment, what happened in the life of Moses, we in Exodus 3, if you're following along, I'm going to take kind of a, a reader's digest approach and just skip around a little bit. We're going to start Exodus 3 in verse 1. We'll, we'll read about the original burning bush experience. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said... Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. Verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Right? This is the moment. This is it. God appears to Moses. He tells him exactly what he wants to do. And Moses is great, right? He's like, sure, God, no problem. Let's go do this thing. Now, Moses wasn't really in it. See, the problem was Moses, Moses got issues. Right? Can we just acknowledge that right now? Moses got issues. See, we find Moses, he's about 80 years old. He's working for his father-in-law. I, I won't say anything about that. Um, but he is. And he, he is tending sheep. God appears to him. And see, what's shocking about this moment, especially for Moses, is that he hid his face because Moses had been living for 60 years in shame. Do you remember what happened just a couple chapters back in the life of Moses? He was walking through the field as a pretty powerful man who had grown up in the home of Pharaoh. He's walking through the fields and he sees something he doesn't like. He sees a couple of Egyptians beating a Hebrew slave. So Moses overreacts a little. I know I've overreacted a few times in my life. Never overreacted to the point of murder. But that's what Moses did. And, you know, sometimes when we read the, the Old Testament and we hear accounts of, you know, 10,000 men being slain by the fresh jawbone of a donkey, right? And you hear all of these things about thousands of people dying and the Lord struck them down and all this kind of stuff. I think we lose the, 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 the power and what it would feel like. What if it was you? What if you're driving down 22 and someone cuts you off and dings your fender a little bit? you pull over, you've got a little bit of road rage, and you take someone's life. I mean, you get so angry, not only do you commit a federal crime, but now you are living with this guilt over your head that probably will never go away. That's where we find Moses. He's been living in shame and guilt. He fled the country. He does not feel worthy 
that God would appear to him and talk to him, let alone ask him to do something on his behalf. How many of us live in regret of the things that we do or say? I know I do sometimes. But sometimes we think that our past disqualifies us from God being able to use us for greatness. And Moses did too. He tried to let that get in the way of the confidence that God could use him. And so he launches off into this litany of excuses. And I hope that we can find a little bit of the, the humor in this moment. Uh, because God is appearing to Moses. And Moses goes on and he, he like looks in every pocket that he has trying to pull out excuses. I mean, he's pulling some of these out from left field. So we're going to continue on in chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, right? His first excuse was really this, I'm not important enough. And for me, this is a complete cop-out, right? He's saying I'm not important enough. This is probably the most qualified, in this sense, Hebrew, to go before Pharaoh. Because remember, he had been adopted as uh, Pharaoh's granddaughter, or grandson. His daughter had adopted Moses. Right, because Moses' mom, after they decreed that all the Hebrew children should die, she did the second least safe thing and uh, made a basket of Lord knows what and put, put him in the reeds and said, yeah, this ought to hold. And, but, you know, we see the hand of God on Moses in that moment, and he, he is important enough. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. That Pharaoh, Ramses I, had passed away. Ramses II was in power. But think about this. Regardless of whether Moses felt important enough or not, he would have been an educated man and would have known that the God of the Hebrews used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. This is God's MO. You don't have to be important for God to use you. You just have to be willing. He continues on. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. His second excuse was this, who should I say sent me? Right? I think Moses doesn't trust his own testimony. Can we just be reminded that he's talking to a shrub? Right? right, And I just imagine Moses saying, no one's going to believe this. He didn't trust his own testimony. Right? Because he's, he's looking at this and saying, you know what? The, the Israelites are not going to think that God would appear to someone like me. Right? Moses had a history. He had a past. He had a reputation. But are we sometimes afraid of our own past that we don't trust that God has changed us? Right, at this moment, Moses is in the presence of God. And it's in his presence that we are changed. You do not have to live a life marked by something that you did in your past. When God comes into your life and Jesus cleanses us, the old is gone, the new has come. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees a perfect son. He doesn't see all the garbage that he did. He sees his son. And so we, I think we can believe that our past, things that we may have done in our past, somehow disqualify us. But that's not the case. 
because God continues to work on us and he continues to change our heart and bring our hearts closer to his. So God decides to throw Moses a little bone here. He goes on to tell him exactly what's going to happen. He tells him, all right, well, I'm going to send some plagues. You guys are going to plunder the Egyptians, take the good stuff. And I'm going to lead you on into victory. And let's pick it back up in chapter 4, verse 1. Moses, not impressed, says, What if they don't believe me or they listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. What if they don't believe me? Right? It's dangerous to play the what if card with God. Especially when it relates to what your call is. Your call, and you know we all are called. It's not just on Pastor Zach or on Alicia and I. We are all called. And your call is not dependent on some kind of third party verification. When God speaks to you and calls you to something, it goes like this. We sense that impression from him, or we hear from him, or we read something and we sense, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. We obey. He does the rest. That's it. That's it. Don't let anybody tell you that you are not good enough, or you don't have what it takes to serve him in the capacity that he's called you to serve. Your call is not dependent on other people. So... God decides to do something else for Moses, right? So he just said, what's that in your hand? Stat? He replied, so he takes a staff and turns into a snake. Right? That's pretty cool. Back into a staff. Right? And then uh, God says, hey, Moses, why don't you take your hand, slip it into your cloak. All right? This is weird, but okay. And he pulls it out, and it's ashy, white, and leprous, and diseased, and disgusting, and then and God says, okay, dip it back in your cloak. And he does the, like the Holy Spirit paraffin wax spa dip. And he pulls it back out and it's, it's completely healed. And even after all of this, Moses says, okay, pardon your servant, Lord. Verse 10. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue and mind, obviously. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. His fourth excuse, I don't talk good, right? Some scholars think that maybe Moses had a speech impediment or a stutter or whatever it was. He obviously, and this is the really comedic part, I think. God is calling Moses to go do exactly what his biggest insecurity is, right? It's like, not anything but go talk in front of people. You know that in America, the number one fear is public speaking? You know that? Number two is death. That means more people would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Moses felt like he didn't have the goods. How many of you feel like you're like, I, I don't have what it takes sometimes, right? I feel like that way all the time. But there's an old saying, and it's kind of cliche, but it's also true. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And we can get caught up in our own insecurities, forgetting that our God can do anything. He can do anything. So finally, Moses 
really gets to the, the core of his issue, right? He, he says, for real, God, just send somebody else. I call it analysis paralysis, right? He had, he had gone through and he had gotten so worked up in his situation that he's like, you know what, God, no! Don't pick me for your dodgeball team. And that, that is some nerve that Moses would tell the God of the universe, don't pick me, right? But, but see, after Moses had given all of his excuses, we, we kind of glaze over it for a moment, but God asked Moses a simple question, and it's a very, very important question. He asked him, what is that in your hand? This is a stick. Right? I mean, I mean, it's just a stick. It's a, it's a staff. But let's think about the story of Moses. God had turned that staff into a snake. Moses goes before Pharaoh. We saw it in the movie a couple minutes ago. Right? Let my people go with that staff. And he turns it into a snake another couple, two, three more times. So then they, they finally, after all the plagues and all the terrible things, that, by the way, went exactly as God said. And they go and they round up all the Israelites and they go down to the Red Sea. Like, great, what are we going to do now? We can't swim this. Like, I don't want Moses trying to stick. Okay. Proceed. Right, and they walk on dry land, and they're they're getting through. Somebody forgot to bring the bottled water. They're like, Mo, we're really thirsty here, man. All right, well, why don't we try the stick? Nick, nick, on the rock. Water. It's not a magic wand. But God used what Moses had to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So what's that in your hand? I don't know if you're a, a doctor or a teacher or a business person or a student or a nurse or a financial advisor. What has God given you that he's calling you to give back to him? No, it's just a stick. It's just a stick. It's, it's really not, not that much. It's not that great. I, I'm, I'm just good at doing crafts from Pinterest or sitting with kids or lifting stuff or backing up a trailer. I certainly can't lead a million people out of slavery. I can't preach. I can't do all these things. What is God calling you to give back to him that he has placed in your hand? What's in my hand? That's a, it's just a camera. It's just a MacBook Pro. It's just a microphone. They're not impressive tools. I mean, like, like if I showed one to Moses, it would probably be pretty impressive. But <laughs> 20 years ago, it was impressive. But they're just tools. And as Alicia and I got that phone call, and as we were trying to discern the will of God in our lives, it wasn't one of those moments where it was abundantly clear what we were supposed to do. It was like, you ever have to choose between a good thing and a good thing? That's kind of what it was. Like, what we were doing was good. And this thing, it's wild and crazy, but it's good. And so we prayed. And, you know, I would love to tell you that when we got that phone call, that the, the beam of light came down from heaven and the angel choir sang and we fell to our knees and we said, yes, Lord! No. No, we did exactly what Moses did, as a matter of fact. We started coming up with our list of excuses. We, we thought, well, you mean you want us to take our baby 
away from her family. She's the only, she, she was the only grandchild, and these are the only two grandchildren on Alicia's side. And you want us to, to quit our jobs that we love and leave everything, leave our careers to do this? You mean you want us to spend the next year and a half, we've already driven over 40,000 miles, Pre I had never preached before, Lord, help me, help us all. And you know, you think about all these things like, God, this is not really what I had in mind when I said I'd do anything, I'd go anywhere. But in the midst of our prayer time, really just trying to sense what God's will was. God did for us what he did for Moses. Remember when he, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God reminded Moses of who he is. And see, God did that exact thing for us. In one of our prayer times, we were sitting on our futon, and Alicia brought up a recurring dream that she had when she was a young girl. 20 years ago. And in this dream, she'd kind of wake up into the dream and she'd be with Jesus. And they were standing on a black and white map of Western Europe. 20 years ago. And they would dance and they would sing and they would twirl around and kind of carry on. And as they did that, a rainbow of color would soak the map from the top to the bottom. And then she'd wake up. And you know, when we got married, I don't know how I ended up with someone like Alicia, to be honest with you. I'm just a nerd. And she's amazing. And she, you know, was in ministry and doing all these things. And I like, you know, run a soundboard. And we, I always wondered, like, if we did leave the university environment one day, how would God bring our ministries together? This is how. God's been preparing us for this moment for our entire lives. Wow. He brought together someone, an opportunity in media in Western Europe. A place where we're going to get to do ministry and live our lives missionally and hopefully get plugged into a church plant just like this one. I don't mind pushing boxes on the trailer. I've been doing it almost my whole life. This was it. This was the moment. And so we said yes. And God is leading us to go, to leave everything, to bring the gospel to people in more than 70 languages. Not just in Spain, we'll be based out of Spain, but in all of Europe. You know what's happening in Europe right now? The nations are coming to us. We're working on a response of how we can use technology with people that are in these refugee camps without internet access and, and without entertainment. Hey, I can entertain with the gospel. And bringing them connectivity and bringing them hope and bringing them peace and bringing them clothing. We're doing work in, in the Middle East and Africa and Asia and India and Siberia and all over bringing the message of the gospel to people that maybe have never heard it before, maybe who don't have access to a church or another Christian, but they've got one of these. Do you know that? Do you know how connected this world is? It's not just hashtag first world problems anymore. I have a friend who went 
into South Africa. They drove about three hours in the bush north from Johannesburg. They got out to take a picture, and they took out uh, uh, their camera to take a picture, and he heard his phone ring, and he, he pulled his smartphone out of his pocket, and it wasn't ringing. And, you know, kind of confused, he, he looked across the way from where the sound was coming from, and the tribesman that was sitting on the stump in front of the grass hut pulled out the same model smartphone that he had and answered it, and then slid it back under the stump. This is the world we're living in. We're living in a world where they might not have running water, they might not have electricity to their homes, but they are connected in an instant to the world of information. This is our reality. It's moving faster and faster, technology is getting less and less expensive, and our time is now to go, to set the captives free, to bring the message and the light of the gospel to some very dark places. Europe is not the right place it once was. Europe is a very, very dark place. I want to take just a couple of minutes to take a look at a few notes from the life of Moses as the worship team comes. The first is this. Do you know that God uses us in spite of what we've done? This is the story of Moses. I think that sometimes God uses us because of what we've done. He likes to show off a little bit. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. That saved a pretty good guy like me. No! That saved someone who kind of had it all together. Like, no. God uses us in spite of what we've done. God's got a habit of using the most unlikely people for some wild stuff. God uses old people, young people, liars, those who have been abused, prostitutes, adulterers, those who have gone bankrupt, warriors, short people, sick people, my friends. God is in the redemption business. That's what he does. Secondly, God wants your heart, not necessarily your talent. By the way, he'll take your talent too. But God wants your heart first because it's out of the abundance of our heart that the mouth speaks. And the body does, and the wallet gives, and the fingers tweet. Some artistic license taken. Maybe you don't feel like you have anything to offer, but I assure you, you do. God wants to know you're willing, and He can use a willing heart to do great things. And third, God's message to Moses was simply this Go, I am sending you, I am with you always. Do you realize this is exactly the message that Jesus sent to us as His finishing? words in the book of Matthew. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is why we are Christians. This is why we are here. Do you know that we are part of the most incredible movement on the face of the planet in the history of the world? Jesus has given us the authority to carry out his great commission. Why not now? And it's not just the great commission where people like Alicia and I, we go to some, some not a far-flown place, we go for seven and a half hours in a non-stop flight to Madrid, Spain, and we go to, to do something. This is something we are all called to do, but it's not just us going alone. Jesus comes with us. It's not just the great commission, it's the great co-mission. All of us together in harmony, working to see the accomplishment 
of what Jesus set out 2,000 years ago. Now is our time. This is our moment. So what are your excuses? I told you mine. What are your excuses? What have you been holding back from God that he's calling you to give back to him? I don't know what it is. I want to pray for you today that God would reveal what he would have for you. That he would work in your heart so he can work through you today. Let's pray today. Jesus, we are yours completely. Whatever you say to do, we will do. Wherever you say to go, we will go. God, we don't want to hold back what you could have for us in our lives. We want to say yes before we know what the question is. And God, some of us have been holding back from you. Maybe not, not an active holding back. Maybe it's just we've, we've been at this so long, we're just fresh out of ideas. And God, I, I pray that you would give divine inspiration today to those who need it. God, would you reveal to us what you would have for us today? In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray.